pray. Lord God, I pray that you'll be with us today as we open up our hearts and our minds and our hands to what needs to go on in the rest of the world. Um, it's a tough day, tough subject, and that's to what we were called, and I ask that you be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we got need you to scoot in. I know you never heard that at 11 o'clock service. Could you scoot in? We got a bunch of people in the back trying to find a place to sit, so uh, scoot in and welcome. Welcome to you. Uh, Ireland campus, welcome England, Bama, everybody on the internet, welcome to you at Orland. We're glad to have you here, uh, glad to have you with us. I did notice everybody kind of sat towards the back row today for some reason. It was a metaphor, people, okay? It's okay to sit on the front row, really. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go to parkviewchurch.com and watch last week's sermon because I think it was important. I want to give you an update on the Synergy Conference that we had. You know, we talked about how one of the things that Jesus hates is disunity within the body of Christ. And so we had this big unity conference and we brought people together just to kind of hang out with us. I want to tell you, we had 55 churches and organizations come and hang out here on Monday. Listen to this. Catholic. Adventist, Lutheran, Nazarene, Presbyterian, non-denominational, Christian Reform, Church of God, Charismatic, Assembly of God, and Episcopal churches all here together. That's the way it ought to be. It was incredible. Had my buddy Dave Stone come, who uh, preaches down in Louisville, had him come and speak a couple of times. We gave them lunch. It was all free. It wasn't a conference like pay us and come and learn from us. It was like, here's a free lunch. Here's a bunch of free resources. I told them if they needed a video camera on the way out, just take it off the wall and go. I mean, we were really, really, <laughs> thankfully no one thought I was serious. But, you know, it was really incredible. I think this what would Jesus hate thing is starting to work for us, okay? What would Jesus hate? The biggest obstacle to people coming to his kingdom is his people. That, that's my problem, okay? The church that was established to draw people to Jesus is doing a marvelous job of keeping them away. And the problem is when Jesus was here, he didn't hang out with the religious people. He hung out with the people who thought WWJD meant we want Jack Daniels, right? Those are the people that Jesus was with. I have to ask myself a question. If Jesus was you know, around today, would he wear a WWID bracelet? You know, what would I do? I, I don't know. Would he wear a cross? Would he have a fish on his car? Maybe. Here's, here's what I want you to know, okay? If, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to not be a hypocrite, not be judgmental and be loving and compassionate and love justice and mercy and all these things that we're talking about, then by all means, wear a cross, wear the WWJD, get a fish in your car, whatever. Let everybody know you're a Christian. But if you're not, please just stay incognito because we've got problems out there. Christians should be, to quote Paul, making the gospel more attractive. People should want what we have. What would Jesus hate is anything that gets in the way of his love. All right, that's the bottom line for this series. Anything that gets in the way of his love is what Jesus would hate. So again today, Jesus is on the case of the religious people. Let me say this one more time. If you're not a religious person, you're not even a believer or whatever, and you walked in here today, relax, okay? We're not going to talk to you at all. This is all for us. This is all for the church. This is all for me. As I said last week, the, longer I, the farther I, away I get from being the prodigal son, the more chance I have of becoming the older brother, Okay? And remember that the older brother was who Jesus told the story for. The farther I get away from being the prodigal son, the longer I live in the house, the easier it is to become the older brother. And so that's what's really important about this. Again, we're talking today to the religious people. What would Jesus hate? The first week was children blocking. The second week was disciple dividing. The third week was sinner judging. And, the, and this week is injustice tolerating. Next week we're going to do joy killing. Main scripture is from Matthew 23. 
Uh, I'm going to read so many scriptures today, you're just going to have to fly with me because I could stand here and read scripture for you for a half an hour and not touch what the Bible has to say about this subject. But this is the one that really caught me when I was reading the Gospels and I was thinking, what, what is it that Jesus hates? Okay? Jesus starts it this way. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! Exclamation point. Okay, does that sound like happy Jesus to you? Woe to you, you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint and dill and cumin, those are little tiny spices, you know, one for you, nine for me, one for you, nine for me, and they're doing all this little legalism stuff. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out the gnat, and you swallow a camel. That's not happy Jesus, people. You blind guides, woe to you. That means knock it off, I'm warning you. You bunch of camel-swallowing gnat strainers. <laughs> this is what Jesus would hate, right? What does he hate? They're following the laws. Now, that's okay, that's good, right? What did he say? Some people say Jesus never said you should tithe. Yeah, he did right here. He just said without neglecting the former. That means without neglecting the tithe. Jesus told you to tithe. You just should tithe and not stop there and not be a hypocrite because God cares about more than you tithing your little seeds while you're ignoring the needs of the people around you. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. You're straining a gnat. Let, think about this. I mean, this is great. You're straining the gnat while you're swallowing the camel ridiculous now it's not like these religious people didn't know that this is what jesus wanted is it i mean if you look through the old testament there's a ton of scripture there are 2100 verses in the bible about poverty do you understand this listen to proverbs 21 to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the lord than sacrifice to do what is right and just before the lord is more acceptable than sacrifice micah 6 8 he has showed you O oh man what is good and what does the lord require of you to act justly. That's a good question, isn't it? Would you like to know what God requires of you? Here it is. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. I mean, you can make a bumper sticker out of that, put it in the dash of your car, make a post-it note, make that your screensaver. What does Jesus want? What does God want? To love mercy, to walk, to, to love just, justice, and to walk humbly before your God. To act justly, to love mercy. And to walk humbly before your God. One of the prophecies about Christ in Isaiah, which is also recorded again in Matthew, because Jesus said it again about himself. This prophecy said this, I will put my spirit on him, the Messiah, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Jesus, the Messiah, was going to come and proclaim justice to the nations. So how are we doing in that department? Well, you know, the church has always been at the leading edge of compassion and, and, and mercy and justice. If it wasn't for the church of Jesus Christ, there would be so much more pain in our world. But it bothers me a little bit that, you know, uh, 20 years ago, if you ask somebody, 10 years ago, you ask somebody, you know, what's the first, who's the first person you think of when you think about compassion, to what would they, would have, what would they have said 10 years ago? Mother Teresa, exactly. They would have said, Mother Teresa, that's the first thing to pop in your mind. But if you ask somebody in the world today, what's the first person that pops in your mind when you think of compassion or mercy or justice? And they might just as likely say Bill Gates or Bono or Angelina, right? Okay? And, and God bless them. I mean, that, that's wonderful. But why are they picking up 
what we ought to be doing. I mean, we ought to all be doing it because we're all human beings. But they're not doing it in the name of Jesus. You hear what Bill Gates did this week? Bill Gates has, has given up his chairmancy of Microsoft, and he's decided to just become a philanthropist, and his big deal is malaria. So he was teaching uh, this big conference with all these big tech people from all over, and he actually got up in front of them to talk about malaria and about how what he said is there's more money spent on baldness, on male pattern baldness in the world than there is on malaria research. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? And malaria is killing all these people, and it's so easily preventable. So what he did is he went into this conference, and he opened up a jar. Here's a picture of him doing it. He opened up a jar with mosquitoes in it. He said, listen, you need to understand, malaria is spread by mosquitoes, by infected mosquitoes. So he opened up the jar, and he let a bunch of mosquitoes loose in the room. Isn't that awesome? And he didn't tell them for a while that they weren't infected mosquitoes. He just left them sitting there going, you know, what in the world is he doing? Most people just said, great, another Microsoft bug, no big deal, you know. <laughs> but I, I admire that. That's awesome. I love that. Okay, but why, why is the world picking up our slack? What the world needs is Jesus and his love. Because not only do we bring them compassion, we bring them salvation. We bring them the hope for the future. We bring them heaven. So it's important for us to get a hold of this, okay? couple reasons why this is important. Number one, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. Matthew 25, I keep coming back to a lot as I've been studying the words of Jesus and, and what he would hate. You get to Matthew 25 and Jesus says, look, to you on my right and you on my left, I'm going to split people up. And the ones on the left, I'm going to say, you did not take care of me when I was sick and when I was poor and when I was hungry. And the people on the left are going to say, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? And Jesus will say, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. Whenever you neglected the least of these, you neglected me. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. You go feed the poor. You go visit the people in prison. You go take care of those who don't have clothes. You do it. Because you're going to be my hands and feet. The second reason is that as people see our good works, they will glorify God. They will see God. I mean, it's a problem that we had in that video that we saw. You know, people are looking at us and they're like, you're being smug and you're not even seeing the people around you. You're straining the gnat and you're swallowing the camel. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And then he said, in the same way, let your light shine before men. Why? That they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. Coach Bill McCartney was coaching the Colorado Buffaloes before he quit to start the Promise Keeper Ministries that a lot of you know about. Men's Ministries has gone on. He wrote a book called Blind Spots. Remember, he's a football coach first. Here's what he said. I believe that if we could more effectively teach justice and bring it out of our people, we would significantly upgrade our offense. And by doing so, we would win the lost in far greater numbers. If we in the church really did justice today, we would turn our culture upside down for Jesus Christ. We need the high-powered offense of justice to make headway in a world deeply suspicious of religious phonies. That is well said. For those two reasons, because we're the hands and feet of Jesus and because when they see our good works, they will glorify our Father in heaven, we need to make sure that we're not straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. We need to pay attention to the things that are going on around us that we can be involved in. I was reading in my own quiet time this week, and this caught me out of Luke 9. It's the feeding of the 5,000. 
And, um, you know, there's all these people there, and Jesus has been teaching, and the disciples are being, you know, pragmatists here, and they're trying to figure out, what are we going to do? How are we going to take care of this problem? Luke 9, verse 12 says, Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Lord, send the crowd away because so they can go to the surrounding villages in the countryside and find food and lodging. Because we're in a remote place here, Lord. You know, I know you've been teaching away, and you might not have been paying attention, but there's like 10,000 people here, 15,000 people here, and there's no Motel 6, there's no White Castle, there's no Pizza Hut. What are we going to do? And here's Jesus' reply in verse 13. This is what stuck out to me. He just said, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. They don't need White Castle. You give them something to eat. What do you have? And they said, well, Lord, we looked around, and all we got is one little kid's lunch, five loaves and two fishes, and you know the rest of the story, right? He said, good. I want to start with what you have, and then I will multiply it. And you know what happened. They had to vacuum seal the leftovers. There was so much left over, they didn't know what to do with it. Twelve baskets full. But they had to start with what they had, okay? You give them something to eat. That's what he said. You go visit the sick. You go take care of the poor. You do it. So there's a good question. There's a good place for us to start. What do you have? I was reading this week that if you took a group of 100 people that represented the entire population of the world, just to make the math work out, if you took 100 people, you would have 30 of those people would be Christians. If this represented the whole world, 30 of them would be Christians, 70 of them would not be Christians. They would not be following Jesus, okay? About 30%. If it was 100 people, 51 of them would be female and 49 of them would be male. Did you know that? There is not a man for every woman. I'm sorry to say that. Maybe you're killing us. I don't know, okay? <laughs> if these hundred people represented the population of the world, listen to this, 80 of them would live in substandard housing, meaning they have no running water and no electricity. 70 of them would not be able to read. 50 of them would be malnourished. And one of them would be starving to death. If you were to take a hundred people and they represent the entire population of the world, six of them would be from the United States of America and they would control 50% of the world's resources. You should know that over half of our planet lives on less than $2 a day. You should know that if you make $30,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of wage earners on the planet Earth. 1%. Somebody sent me this a couple weeks ago. It's not a, it's not a scientific survey, but they kind of just did a, a, little, a little graphic of what people eat in an average week. And they just took a picture of families from all over the world and how much they spent on their food. Okay, So, not, again, not scientific, but probably pretty accurate. Germany. This German family, this is the Melander family, okay, in Germany. They spend $500 a week on food. Why? Because they need a lot of beer. Can you see that? Okay, that's a lot of beer. Okay, $500 a week. United States, they picked the Rebus family of North Carolina. Um, boy, I hope that most Americans eat a little better quality food than that, you know? You got potato chips and pizza and pop, okay? They spend 341. Are you following the numbers? Germany, 500. America, 341. Mexico, the Casales family of Cornavaca, $189 on food in Mexico. Jump down to Ecuador, the Indians in the remote regions of Ecuador, 
and the I'm family of Tingo spend $31 a week on food. Bhutan, the Shanghai village, they spend $5 a week on that much food. And you get to one of the poorest places in the world, one of the horrible, most horrible places in the world, the Republic of Chad, in the middle of Africa, where there's a lot of infighting and a lot of stuff like it was going on in Rwanda not too long ago. The Republic of Chad, that is a refugee family called the Abukar family, and they spend a dollar twenty-three a week to feed their family. So what's the lesson from that? Let's all go to Germany. No. The lesson is we're really, really blessed. That's what I want you to get. What do you have? I'll tell you what you have. You have an abundance. I know you're feeling the economy. I know you've had to cut back. I know things are not going so great maybe in your life, but we are still blessed. Here's what I want you to hear. Don't feel guilty, okay? I know you're thinking, oh, here he comes with a big guilt thing. Now listen to this. Here's what Paul says in Timothy. He says, command those who are rich in this present age, which I just demonstrated to you, is us. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Hello, we figured that out, didn't we? But to put their hope in God, who, listen to this, richly provides everything for our enjoyment. God is our Father. He provides everything richly for our enjoyment. Whew, I just booked a vacation. I thought PT was going to make me feel guilty. No, 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 no. Go on vacation. Enjoy what God has given you. Just understand there's got to also be justice and mercy and faithfulness. Listen to the rest of the verse. So command them, Paul says, to do good, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, and to be willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. They may take hold of the life that is truly life. We have, uh, listen, I take seriously, again, this is the words of Jesus from Luke 12. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. He's going to demand a lot from me because he's given me a lot. He's given me unbelievable blessings. So he demands a lot from me. And from the one who has been entrusted much, much more will be asked. See, this is the problem with the world. This picture kind of represents it right here. We're the little dog in the big basket. 6% of the world's population, 50% of the resources, and the rest of the world's kind of like the big dog sitting over there. Psalms 82 says, Give fair judgment to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and the helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. Edmund Burke says, All that is necessary for in for triumph of evil, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do what? Nothing. You heard that before? All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Jesus told us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? Say that again. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Now here's the problem. We can think of that poor family over there in the Republic of Chad in Central Africa and think, man, that's too bad. I hope Jesus comes back really soon so that they can get to heaven. But Jesus said, no, I want you to pray on earth. My kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to bring justice and mercy and faithfulness down here. 
I've done a lot of research this week. It's been a depressing week. Did you know there are 27 million slaves in the world today still? Do you understand child sex trafficking that's going on in Thailand and Cambodia and in Asia? I, I know you probably don't because I didn't until I started doing more study about it today. We have International Justice Mission and Rafa House represented out here today. I want to encourage you to stop by the booth. I also want to encourage you just to go on my blog, um, timharlow.com, just put my name.com, and my blog that I, that I did yesterday is going to give you a lot of places where you can click and find out more information. In, in, in particular, uh, a video that our friends at Christ and Youth made called BAHT, B-A-H-T, um, is about child sex trafficking, and, and it's not R-rated, it's not graphic, but listen, it's hard, and you need to understand it. You need to get your hands around what's going on in the rest of the world. Or, and I wouldn't do this lightly, but I would recommend to you if you're an adult to go see Slumdog Millionaire. It's, it's rated R, um, and there's a, you know, there are reasons for that because they're trying to explain what's going on in the rest of the world, but a very, very fair and a happy ending to the movie, which is always good because that's not what's going on in, in the world today. It's pretty hard. Here's Mary's story. Mary lives in Cambodia in Phnom Penh. She had a daughter, Bofa, who was 16 years old. But her daughter's been missing for weeks. Mary and her husband struggled to put food on the table. Some local women had offered to take Bofa to the port city of Koh Kong, where she could reportedly get a job peeling shrimp. Mary had repeatedly refused the offers because she didn't want her teenage daughter so far away and worried about what might happen to her. But one day, Bofa was gone, simply disappeared. Mary heard nothing for weeks, and for weeks she couldn't eat or sleep. Friends and neighbors said Bofa was probably dead. Mary said, I died too. Later, Mary received shocking news. A neighbor reported that a friend had actually seen Bofa alive, but she was hundreds of miles away across the border in Thailand, locked in a brothel. Turns out the people offering to take Bofa for a job peeling shrimp were actually working for sex traffickers. They preyed on Bofa's sense of financial obligation and convinced her to go with them without telling her mom, and soon, like thousands like hundreds of thousands of other teenagers in Asia Bofa found herself transported hundreds of miles from home sold into a brutal brothel where she was held there against her will as soon as Mary heard about her daughter she did what you and I would do she ran to the police to get their help but her local police just made excuses and demanded money money that Mary didn't have we had no money Mary said we could not do anything James said, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food, and one of you says to him, well, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Dallas Willard in his book, The Renovational Heart, said it this way. We don't believe something simply by saying we believe it. Or even when we believe that we believe it, we believe something when we act as if we believe it. Usually when you hear stuff like this, you think, yeah, man, somebody ought to do something. But not me. What am I going to do? We're like two boys went to the dentist one day, and the one boy said, we need a tooth taken out, and we're in a hurry. We don't want any gas. We don't want any anesthesia. Just pull it out. And then it said, man, you're a brave young man. Show me the tooth. He said, show him your tooth, Albert. <laughs> right? 
I mean, it's not, it's not what I'm going to do. You know, I can't be involved. I'm not over there. What am I supposed to do? Well, listen, what should you do is a good question. That's pretty much the question that somebody else came to Jesus with. Another one of those religious people that he wanted to, you know, kind of get in their face. They said, hey, what should I do to get to heaven? And God said, what do you think? The man said, I should love God and I should love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus said, good, good answer. You already knew the question. Why'd you come to me? And the man, wanting to justify himself, the Bible says, couldn't leave it alone. He said, well, who is my neighbor? You know, because I want to strain out the gnat while I swallow this camel. I want to make sure I get all the rules followed just exactly right, but not do anything more than I have to. Could you please tell me who my neighbor is? And Jesus, like he did a lot of times, said, well, let me tell you a story. There's this guy. He was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was about a 17-mile stretch. No highway patrol, no lights, nothing. A lot of gangs hit out there. And he got robbed, and he got beaten, and he was left for dead on the side of the road. And he's laying there, one, you know, waiting to see what's going to happen. Maybe he's got one eye open. And all of a sudden, he opens his eye, and there is a priest. A priest comes by. Now, remember something, okay? Please remember this. It's really important as you read through the Bible. Remember who Jesus is telling the story to. Remember that Jesus did not tell the prodigal son's story to the prodigals. He was hanging out with them, but he told the prodigal son's story to the older brothers, to the Pharisees, because they were griping at him for hanging out with the prodigals. Remember that. He was talking to them about being older brothers. Remember that when Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan, it was not to Good Samaritans. It was to the priest and the Levite. Well, priest happened to come by. Verse 31. And he was going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. What did he do? He went out of his way to avoid doing the right thing. He went out of his way to neglect justice and mercy. He went out of his way to strain the gnat and swallow the camel. Out of his way. Now, I like that little phrase because, you know, it's really important to us because I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I can't go to Cambodia. I can't go to Thailand. I don't know what I can do about those things. I feel bad about it. Hey, guess what? While you're talking to me, here's what you're doing, okay? You're like, oh, man, that's really bad about what's going on over there in Cambodia. All the while, there's somebody sitting right there, isn't there? Think for just two seconds. There's somebody right there that God has put in your path. You don't have to go overseas to solve the problem of justice and mercy and faithfulness. It's all around us. All we have to do is look around. I took this picture when we were in England uh, in the fall when we were visiting the ministry over there. Um, this is a street in London. It says, look right on the street. I mean, we don't have that in our streets over here, do we? You know what that's for? That's for the Americans to come to visit London. Why? Because what is our natural inclination? We're going you know, to walk out on the street and we're looking over there because that's the way traffic's coming, right? And we'll walk right out in front of a car because they drive on the wrong side of the road. So they actually put it on the roads. Hey, you dumb Americans, we're driving over here, okay? Look right. And I, I just, I just, it just cracks me up, but it makes me think that's exactly what we need to be doing in our own life. We don't have to look around. We, you, you don't have to go on my, on my blog. You don't have to go on the website and figure out what's going on in the rest of the world because there is suffering going on all around us. It's right here. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. This guy has another reason to avoid what's going on here, okay? Levites were supposed to offer the sacrifice in the temple. 
And if this guy touches this, this, this poor guy on the road and he's dead, he's defiled for seven days and he can't do the religious things. So he strains out the little gnat while he swallows the camel and he goes on the other side. For whatever reason, this guy felt like it was more important to follow a bunch of rules than it was to do what was right. Same thing happened to Jesus one day when he's, it was a Sabbath day. And he's teaching, and all of a sudden this guy comes up to Jesus, and he's got a withered hand. Comes up to Jesus with a withered hand, and, the, and you know, the Pharisees are all around going, oh, it's a Sabbath day. You can't do any work on Sabbath day. I wonder what Jesus is going to do. And Jesus sees the guy with a withered hand, and he's like, dude, let me fix that. Boom. Heals the guy with a withered hand. The Pharisees are like, oh, you broke a rule. And Jesus is like, he had a withered hand. Do you not get this? Why can't you figure out, you gnat-straining camel swallowers, what's going on here? Jesus is telling this story to the priest and the Levite. Jesus is telling the story to the religious people to help them understand how we're supposed to be. Now, this is what's really interesting to me. The plot twist, I mean, if you've read this before, you know that this is a plot twist because it's a Samaritan, all right? A Samaritan comes by, okay? You have to understand that good Samaritan to a Jew is as big an oxymoron as jumbo shrimp, okay? Adorable cat, country music. (laughs) Cubs win. It's oxymoron, okay? Good Samaritan. And, and, and we can laugh about our little baseball rivalry, but the truth of the matter is, this would not, Jesus would not have said, well, there was a Cub fan laying by the side of the road, and a Sox fan came along and helped him. Okay? Because Sox fans are like Jesus. Everybody knows that already. And it's deeper than that. Amen? But it, 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 so are Cub fans. Come on, it's deeper than that. This is, listen, this is, this is a white guy laying by the side of the road and a black guy comes along, and it's 1950 in Alabama, okay? This is, this is a Muslim guy in the Gaza Strip is laying by the side of the road, and an Israeli comes along, okay? This is deep stuff. Please don't minimize this. This is the people of God are supposed to be doing this, and the Samaritans to the Jews were not the people of God. They were the anti-people of God, okay? You've got to understand this. Really, really important. Which is, here's the verse, verse 33. But the certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Isn't that interesting? He had compassion. Psalms 116 says, God is a God of compassion. Listen to this verse from Hebrews 13. Keep on loving each other as brothers, God tells us. Do not forget to entertain strangers. This verse is crazy. For by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Again, you don't know who you're serving. And then he says, remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners. As if you were their fellow prisoners. And those who were mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Hello, humanity. I am suffering with you. The word for compassion, I I tell you this every once in a while, it's important. It's splachna. Greek word is splachna. It sounds like it's coming from your gut. Splachna. Because that's exactly what it's supposed to mean. It's coming from the coming from your bowels it's coming from your gut i feel compassion for you this good samaritan had compassion 
So he went to him and he bandaged his wounds and he poured on oil and wine and he set him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. You know what just dawned on me this week? You know, I've been thinking about why is it that, why is it that the world is taking up the cause of justice and mercy? You know, why is it the world? And it's the same thing that Jesus was telling this story for, okay? In Jesus' story, the, the, the Jews are the good religious people and the Samaritans are the not religious people. And the Samaritans are the one that are doing what the Jews are supposed to be doing. So today, what do we have? We have the, the religious people, the Christians that call themselves Christ followers that are supposed to be doing the right things, and the not religious people, the movie stars and the rock stars and those people over there, Bill Gates, they're doing, they're the good Samaritan. We're supposed to be doing it. I mean, we're all supposed to be doing it because God put that inside of all of us, that splachna. It's just interesting to me. So he leans in, Jesus says, and he says, okay, Mr. Nat Strainer, camel swallower, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Thankfully, the guy didn't say, well, the Levite, because obviously he had religious duty. Because Jesus, I think, would have had to get the millstone out, you know? But he said, no, I get it, Jesus. The one who showed mercy. And, and, and here, here we go, okay? You ready for this? And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Right. Good answer. Now go be like that guy. Along the road of your life, you've got to stop asking who is my neighbor, and you've got to figure out that everybody is your neighbor. You've got to start asking, won't you be my neighbor? I mean, we've got to get everybody in on this. Because, friends, there are 30 million people dying of AIDS right now. There are 6,000 children that woke up this morning with at least one parent that are going to go to bed tonight without any parents because of AIDS. They're lying in the ditch. They're beat up. They're half dead. And we've got to do something about it. Not only that, but there are people right in our area that are homeless. There are, are single moms and single dads that have needs that, have, that need for us to reach out to them. There are people who've lost their jobs that need us to reach out to them. And they're right in our path. They're right in the middle of our way. We're having to walk around them just to avoid them. See, being a Christian really isn't a title. It's not a label like priest or Levite. It's about what you do. It's about a practice. The, the summation of Jesus' story was that the good Samaritan had to get off his donkey. Sometimes I miss preaching out of the King James. <laughs> he had to get off his donkey and get down and get dirty and do something about it. It starts with our head. We have to get our minds open. We have to understand what's going on in the rest of the world. That's why I really want to encourage you to get, your, get yourself educated and find out what's really going on in the rest of the world. You, you know what's frustrating is, is to look back at apartheid. My daughter Rachel is going to come in and, and talk about that in just a second. You know, that just was over in South Africa in 1994. It's been going on recently and we really weren't paying attention to it. You know? Rwanda, if you, if you watch Hotel Rwanda, you had to be thinking to yourself, where in the world were we? Why didn't we know about this? If you lived through Hitler's regime, you had to think, how come we didn't know these things were going on? Because we're not educated, and we need to become educated. We need to get our hands around it. We need to understand that we are global Christians, and it's not just about us. And then we need to get our heart involved, our splachna. We need to go from our head to our heart and feel compassion for those people so that we're doing something about it. And that will help our hands 
to be motivated to do something. It's not just about the other parts of the world. Who's lying in the ditch in front of you? Go and do likewise. What do you have? What do you have? So go on our website at parkviewchurch.com. Go on my blog, timharlow.com, and find out what's going on in the rest of the world. Get educated. Pray. If we have 27 million slaves left in the world today, then we need 27 million prayer warriors praying for them, praying against those brothel owners, praying against the people from the United States of America that are getting together in little groups to go over and take advantage of what's going on over there. We need to pray against that. And can I just say something? You know, I, I, don't, I, I don't want you to get the wrong impression of what I said last weekend. There is a place for activism. There is a place for us to be involved, okay? What I was talking about last week about, you know, not holding up a sign saying I'm a better person than you, there still needs to be a place for activism. There's a place for us to be involved and find out what we can do to stop the issues that are going on in our world. Whatever it is that God's calling you to, become involved. We've got booths out in the lobby. Website links are up. Restoration Ministries works in Harvey with underprivileged kids. You know what? They need furniture. They've got a, a resale shop, and they, they're running low on furniture. So guess what? You got an old couch sitting around? How about you call up Restoration Ministries? And that could be something that could help somebody out of a ditch. It could get a kid an after-school meal and a Bible class. I mean, you have no idea. I've done this for, this is my third service now. We had a guy who uh, is buying out a retirement home and has 60 rooms full of furniture that he's going to give to Restoration Ministry. He had no place to give it, nothing to do, and all of a sudden, bada-boom, bada-bing, we got a place for it to go, and it can be used. I mean, that's just cool. I love that. It's the body of Christ. All right? And by the way, we got a warehouse from My Joyful Heart a couple of weeks ago when I asked for that. We had a, a great Christian businessman say, I got warehouse space for that. This is what we do, okay? This is what Parkview's got to be about. Here's the end of Mary's story. The staff of International Justice Mission heard about her story through the support of people like you. They were able to help Mary. They were able to follow investigative leads and take a specially trained police contingent across the Thailand border to rescue Bofa and eventually rescue nine other women and children abducted by the same trafficking ring. They were also able to prevent the victimization of scores of other women by securing the arrest and conviction of the brothel keeper and five traffickers who will spend the next decade in jail instead of selling children. And that's what we're supposed to be involved in, okay? Bofa, yes, clap for that. I love that ministry. Bofa is being cared for. She is in a rehabilitation trauma center. She's getting vocational training. And her mom said, when I found out that Bofa was safe, I felt like I was walking not on land but floating in the heavens because my daughter's home. She's in a good place receiving training. I now have hope for my daughter's future, okay? That's about the body of Christ getting involved and going and doing likewise. Let's just pray. We're going to have communion. Lord, I uh, pray that you be with us and break our hearts. Help us not to be Cain and, and say, I, I don't know, not my brother. Am I my brother's keeper? It's not my problem. And just not to be the priest and the Levite and just cross by on the other side. Help us not to strain out the gnats and swallow the camels. Help us to go and do likewise. Help us to be the people that you've called us to be so that the world will see our good works and glorify you. Not, not for us, but for you. Lord, as we take communion right now, I just I pray that everybody understands that 
we can't do enough to make you love us. We can't do anything to make you love us. We, we can't be good enough to get into heaven. We don't do these things so that you can love us more because you can't love us more. We do these things so that other people can love you. We're celebrating communion right now, Lord. We're, we're going to celebrate, Jesus, that you were the ultimate example of compassion, that you gave your life for us to die, that whoever believes in you will not perish but have everlasting life. And Lord, we're thankful. Maybe there are people in here who have uh, never accepted you because they've never understood what you were really about. Maybe gnat swallowers got in their way. Maybe camel swallowers got in their way. Maybe, maybe people that called themselves believers were not the examples that they needed to be. I pray that right now they're opening up their heart to you. They're bowing their knee to you. They're asking you to come in and live inside. Lord, I just pray that you'll be with us as we commune with you right now, that you will help us to just take a moment and ask ourselves which one of the people in that story we've been. Maybe none of the above, but Lord, help us to be like the Good Samaritan. Help us to go and do likewise. What do we have? You give them something to eat is what you said. You give them something. You get involved. You be the hands and feet. Help us as we think about that and be with us as we celebrate this amazing gift of salvation that we need to pass on to everybody. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.